is the color. Welcome to the FPL Blues Podcast. I'm John Bucks, your East Coast host based in Brooklyn, and joining me as always from the sunny West Coast is Brian Chin out in San Francisco. Brian, how was your weekend off the grid? I came back to a score of 53 points, so can't really complain, but it definitely was difficult to not watch any of the fixtures uh, live this weekend. So spent some time with my fiance in the in the woods of Big Sur and came back to a, a half-decent game week. So looking forward to discussing the entertaining weekend. Yeah, thank God for YouTube highlight clips. Uh, Brian is now fully up to date, and we are on track for a busy episode. Uh, this was, as Brian mentioned, a pretty weird weekend in the Premier League. And for FPL, it was overall a low-scoring game week. So there were a lot of tight matches, which led to some disappointing scores overall. But 43 points was the average. And on this episode, we're really going to just dive into how Brian and my teams performed in game week six. We're going to shout out the manager of the game week in the FPL Blues podcast, Super League. Then we're going to recap the action from around the Premier League, preview the best matches for next game week, game week seven and answer your community questions before wrapping up, as usual, with our transfer and captaincy plans. So let's get, we're getting into a nice groove here, Brian. We're almost hitting our stride quite like the Egyptian king, Mo Salah, scoring every game week in FPL. So let's get it popping. You ready? Yeah, man. I mean, the Egyptian king, he delivered another prophecy for me. I went with him as my captain, and he helped me get a total of 53 points this game week. 10 points above the average of 43, and I got a 85K green arrow up to 278K overall in the world and feeling pretty spry. I have two transfers going into this week and looking to make some moves before my game week eight wild card. So potentially uh, I might take some punts this week on a few players. I might even go with a, a Chelsea defender captaincy. Who knows? We're about to get wild here. And really looking forward to this game week before another international break comes aboard. Um, Bucks, how did you do this week? Huge, Brian. That's uh, You beat me by five points, which is massive in such a low-scoring game week. I took my second straight small red arrow. I ended up on 48 points. And I'm now sitting just outside the top 50K overall. So disappointing game week. I made the wrong transfer move. That was the real takeaway. I moved off Rafinha to bring in Saar. Both of them ended up hauling. Mm. But uh, the guy who I was also thinking about transferring out, Mason Greenwood, blank. So I would have had a really nice score if I went Greenwood to Saar instead of Rafinha. Uh, that's really the big takeaway. I think many managers ended up making the wrong move that I did, which was captaining Ronaldo instead of Sala or Antonio. And, you know, really my team was just anchored by five players in total, which was Saar, Antonio, Sala, and Jota, and Semedo. Pretty much everyone else dropped the bag and blank. So disappointing, but uh, expecting big things next game week. Yeah, I mean, given the low scoring nature of the game week, I'd be happy with 48 points, you know, five points above the average and just kind of a treading water week. I think a lot of people had defenders in their back line, such as Trent and Shaw, who are massively owned, who obviously delivered zero points and one point, not respectively. Um, but unfortunately for managers, just one of those game weeks that's kind of forgettable and you move on to the next. I think 
for you personally, I know we talked a lot offline about, you know, Greenwood and especially on the last pod, we're a little bit worried about him being more on the, you know, peripheral view of the Manchester United attack. You know, if you would have moved him out and brought in Saar, then you would have been really in business uh, last game week. So just small moves. And I mean, looking at my team, you know, Salah captaincy was, it was a big, a big call this week. And I really, you know, back to him, I talked about on the pod last week that I thought he was going to be in the goals against a, a, a Brentford team who had not played a top, you know, four side yet in the Premier League. And I'm really, honestly, I'm disappointed because he could have easily had two goals or adding assists as well. So to only get seven points and no bonus points out of him as my differential, you know, quote unquote, differential captain versus Ronaldo, uh, it, it could have been so much more, um, more uh, booming. So uh, I'm still happy with the overall uh, score, though. Speaking of booming, one manager who is definitely celebrating is our manager of the game week, Stunos FC. He went big with a score of 61, beating the average by a hefty 18 points. Uh, major congratulations to manager Emmanuel Dankwa for a great performance. And really just want to give him credit. He made the right captain selection. He went Vardy, who was really nice differential and has been all season and that paid major dividends he ends up with 11 points doubling up for 22 i mean when your captain is scoring half the total of the game week average you know you're in business for a big game week (laughs) so major congratulations to emmanuel and to stunos fc for this performance i mean vardy put in the hat trick right he scored two goals in his net and one goal in the other net so very very impressive performance there going with the differential (laughs) Ha <laughs> yeah. All right, thanks for recapping the manager of the week. Now, Bucks, we're going to take a quick break and review the matches in our next segment. We'll be right back. All right, Bucks, let's jump into the matches from game week six, starting with an early double feature fixture of Chelsea versus Manchester City. This one was a bit of a body blow to start the weekend, Bucks. Since I missed it, let's uh, hear your insight first. Yeah, tough game week for the Blues. Uh, I think they really lost this one on the team sheet coming into Stamford Bridge. And, uh, you know, needs to give credit where it's due to Pep and the Man City side. They just came in hungrier, more motivated, and going for it more than Chelsea did. So, you know, the Blues really were bossed starting in the midfield. And I think that Tuchel wanted to experiment with Lukaku next to Werner as kind of the double striker pairing. And it really didn't prove to work at all. They kind of looked lost. They were a man short in midfield with three defensive midfielders, having Jorginho, Conte, and Kovacic all line up without really a creative pivot uh, to involve those two. And, you know, bad went to worse. Reese James comes off hobbled midway through the first half with an ankle injury, something definitely to watch as Chelsea are just entering a really positive fixture run. Player of the match was Gabriel Jesus. He slots home a classy game-winning goal and gets two bonus points for eight total FPL points. And Jao Cancelo gets the assist. He pairs that with a clean sheet and three bonus points for a massive 12-point haul. So a huge result for City. They vault up to second overall, despite uh, what you could say was a slow start to the season. And it's just worth pointing out how well Grealish is fitting into the city side. He might not be pouring in the goals, 
but he gets another start. So he started every match for them. And he was really inches away from doubling the lead and going 2-0 up. Uh, Mendy had a really classy save. But uh, I saw a funny tweet that I just want to give credit to that said that the only two people who could score on Chelsea defense were uh, were Muhammad and Jesus. <laughs> and it proved to be true in this match. Yeah, Bucks, this is an unfortunate result for Chelsea, obviously hosting Manchester City. Uh, a different kind of lineup was put out there for Chelsea to kind of combat the you know, ball and the possession that City usually have in the midfield. And all of the big chances in this match were really, truly, you know, from City. So it's it's an unfortunate one. We had some players come off early. Uh, Conte, who, you know, he played about 60 minutes and then he came off the pitch. He now has COVID. That's unfortunate. Um, you know, we also have Mason Mount, who is kind of on the mend right now. So a different lineup for Chelsea. I think um, this is more about Manchester City and their ability to clean, you know, any single game they play. I know you've been giving me a lot of flack for the Cancelo shout, but he's really going to play either on the left or right uh, fullback position. And I think he's now the number one defender in fantasy. Luck, definitely a lucky assist, obviously, like the the Jesus deflection goal. But with that being said, you know, I think the, the City team outplayed Chelsea and um, they're, you know, at the very least, Cancelo is, you know, in those attacking spots. Whereas Diaz never will be, so he's definitely in consideration for my wild card later on. And you know, Reese James, who I wanted to be in my wild card, he's out injured for the next couple weeks, maybe longer, depends on international break. So um, definitely some things to monitor. Yeah, and just worth mentioning that there's been a lot of talk in the FPL community about doubling up on Chelsea defense. But City seem to be not mentioned anywhere in that conversation. City are by far and away the best defense in the Premier League at this point in time. They might not have as clean a fixture run as Chelsea, but it's just worth mentioning that pretty much any game that the City defense goes into, if Diash is healthy, if Cancelo is playing, and if Ederson is in goal, they're more than likely to end up with a clean sheet. So I think that this is changing the way I'm approaching thinking about my wild card and city might now be the team to look at having two defenders from not Chelsea just worth putting out there. Yeah, for sure. And like the expected goals conceded for Manchester city is just so much lower than Chelsea's. Um, So I think that's something that is a good stat to track to find out, you know, maybe Chelsea's gotten a little bit lucky, you know, Mendy's been great this year, making a ton of saves, but he saved us in, probably two games where we easily could have conceded. So from a fantasy perspective, it might be better to invest in double city defense because we know their midfield is is just so deep and you don't know which midfielder to pick to get points in any given match. So that's a good call there, Bucks. All right, let's move on to Manchester United and Aston Villa 1. So in this match, Bucks, this was going on simultaneously as the Chelsea game on. Was your head just spinning this early in the morning with your captain also blanking after Ch- while Chelsea's blanking? Like, what, what what was the range of your emotions uh, this in that start? Yeah, this was, you mentioned a gut punch was the Chelsea, but this was really a one-two knockout blow uh, to start the Saturday off on the wrong foot. Manchester United host Villa at Old Trafford. I had Ronaldo captained, as Brian mentioned, and I was expecting big results. I think Man United are just the all-around better side. And honestly, the scoreline doesn't really reflect what 
was happening on the field. There should have been more goals in this one. Credit to the post as well as both keepers for keeping it uh, such a cagey affair. And Villa just, you know, they bossed it. As I mentioned in the first half, they they could have had at least two or three goals. Um, another crucial FPL injury that needs to be shouted out, Luke Shaw has to come off injured in the first half. Unclear what the extent of that injury was, but it didn't look good. And, you know, out of frustration, he's so bummed to be coming off injured. He goes and makes a rash tackle to get a yellow card, going from one point to zero points, making things even worse, if that's even possible for FPL managers, 40% of whom still have Luke Shaw in their team. So United, later in the match, they end up losing another key defender. Harry Maguire has to be subbed off injured in the second half. And only a couple minutes later, the guy who he'd probably be marking on this corner kick, Courtney Haas, probably a name not well recognized in the Premier League or FPL community. <laughs> he ends up scoring a beautiful header goal from Douglas Luis to open the scoring in the 90th minute. He gets full bonus. He gets that goal and the clean sheet. So he ends up with 15 points. But that kind of skips the ending, which was... There's a late, late penalty given. Courtney Hawes handball in the box. And to the surprise of many, who's ending up taking the penalty kick? It's not the best whoever did it. Cristiano Ronaldo, he's literally the best penalty taker of all time in international football. Bruno Fernandez. Bump, bump, bump. Yeah, Bruno Fernandez steps up to take it. And he honestly forgot what football he was playing. He skies a field goal kick into the stands, uh, missing the goal by a mini mile. And so very uncharacteristic of Bruno. The shithousery of Emmy Martinez wins the day again. And yeah, just credit to Villa. Yeah, watching the highlights, honestly, Bruno looked freaking amazing. He created 10 chances himself. And just unfortunately, Emmy Martinez had a great game, had a couple big saves. And I just felt bad for Bruno that he missed that PK. Usually he goes in with the Jorginho skip, um, but he didn't do that. And he just skied it. Um, I think, you know, PKs at the end of the match are very difficult, too, because you've played 90 full minutes and running around. And um, he's obviously responsible for so much of their creation as a side. So, uh, like I said, I'm a little bit down on Ronaldo as a captaincy option and I think he's he's the type of player who's going to trickle you know one goal here and there but I don't really see them with this booming attack um, it's obviously going to take them some time to gel we saw many times Greenwood looked pretty threatening um, but at the same time he didn't have the kind of the footwork and the awareness to maybe set up Ronaldo um, who was flanking down also up there uh, on a, a number of their attacks. So I'm a little bit concerned about uh, not only Shaw, uh, who is obviously flagged, but what Greenwood's um, you know long-term role is in the side for Manchester United. Yeah, as Brian mentioned, Greenwood blanks, uh, as does Ronaldo, who was the number one captain selection for FPL managers this game week. They both disappoint. Uh, but I thought Greenwood actually had a better game, but he was forcing it a little bit. The fact that he's no longer the stand-up striker up top where a lot of the attacking play is funneled through i feel like he feels a little bit of urgency to get shots on goal and so he might not be taking the best shots he's just taking shots because he has the ball on his feet um, whereas ronaldo you know he's getting force fed a lot of opportunities so something to monitor in the next couple of game weeks they have a relatively 
friendly match against a beat-up Everton side next game week. But with that, we can go on to a more exciting and goal-filled match, which was Everton 2, Norwich 0. Brian? So, Bucks, in this one, Everton gets another W versus Norwich. Whenever you play Norwich, FPL players score points, and that's the kind of theme. That's the theme we're going to have throughout the whole season. You know, if I could punt on Chris Wood this week playing Norwich, I probably would do it. Um, you know, this team is is definitely one of the worst defending teams in the Premier League this season. And, uh, you know, a relatively depleted Everton side gets a good result after losing to Villa the week before. Uh, Townsend totals 10 points. He scores opener from a PK. And again, DCL wasn't on the pitch for that one. And then uh, Decore, who's 5.6 million, gets his second goal um, in the, in this campaign. And he's got a number of assists already. So he's 5.6 million. And then the other option kind of in that bracket, Damari Gray also gets an assist um, as well. So it, it's been an impressive kind of makeshift FPL midfield that's been doing the business for Everton. And they have some potential enablers that you could fit into your side if you're coming up on wildcard. Elsewhere, again, you want to stay away from, I think, their defense, even though Dean cleaned in this one. I don't I don't have any confidence that they're going to keep a clean sheet in any given match, but it was good to see Pickford back in net and healthy in this one. Yeah, Norwich might be entering worst Premier League side of all time territory at this point. Um, they just don't even look close to getting results. They are getting blown out in the midfield. They're Tim Krul and goal look totally on an island. So this was a tough one to watch. Everton just totally dominated from the jump. And worth mentioning that Townsend at 5.4 million, Decore at 5.6 million, and Damari Gray now at 5.8 million are all trickling in points game week in, game week out. So another strong performance from all three of their budget midfielders. And it's just going to be interesting to see how they perform once they have a fully loaded side with DCL and Richarlison back in the side healthy. On to the next one, which is Leeds 1, West Ham United 2. This was a much closer match than we anticipated, given that Leeds really was banged up in the back. They started a center back who had never played in the Premier League before, so he gets his first start, and somehow Leeds very scrappy. They get the first goal from Rafinha, who got off the bus in in London and made it to this match. I was very happy as I really practice patience with him because I think he's a long-term player in my side, and he totals eight points, gets his second goal in, in the last two games, and then he also hit the post maybe 15 minutes later in that match. So again, he he's a player that it's interesting to see him a, a little bit more attacking from a shot perspective as last year he created a, a lot more assists. So kind of wonder if his role is evolving, especially with Bamford out for a few weeks, if he's just really has the green light from Bielsa ball to just shoot it from outside the box, shoot it from inside the box, shoot it from wherever. Um, with that being said, I'm still waiting for that, that, that brace to come because he, he does lack a little bit of hesitancy when he's in front of a uh, goal. So uh, just something to keep in mind if you're ever thinking about captaining him in the future. Uh, elsewhere in this match, uh, there's a crucial kind of one-on-one where um, Antonio had actually played for Nalls all the way through, and I thought he was going to score that goal, and that would have been too. a huge um, opportunity for... Yeah, that would have been a huge opportunity for Antonio uh, differential captains 
um, to get uh, get some more points there. So a little bit later, Antonio came in flying from the top rope and elbows Meslia right in the noggin, which kind of actually was ruled out um, from VAR, a Suchek goal that came in right after. So it was a very, very you know tight match until the very end, kind of at the death, Antonio, uh, he calls game with a beautiful few touches um, from a Declan Rice ball that went over the top and smoothly put it around Meslier. So he ends up on eight points and he got max bonus in this game as well. So really, I think rule of thumb here, Antonio is playing like a like a 10 or 11 million pound striker. Like you should not be hesitant to captain him just because he's, you know, his price tag at 7.5 to 8 million. You should definitely go ahead and captain him if you think he um, is going to be in the goals. And so far, every match that he's played in, other than one, he's you know been close to double digits. So he's definitely a player that you should have in your side if uh, you don't already. Yeah, absolutely agree on Antonio. He is incredible form right now. He's just a man on fire. He's playing as well as Prince was in the Dave Chappelle basketball games <laughs> skit. He just yelled, game blouses, scores the goal, runs off the field. And I agree with you. I think he has to be an every week captain consideration at this point. He's probably more reliable at this point than Cristiano Ronaldo is, maybe even more than the likes of Salah. But uh, again, it's just interesting because he's not such a heralded player for his FPL price. And there's a lot of injury trauma from previous seasons that exist around a player like Antonio. So I think people are just wising up at this point to how valuable he is to West Ham, but also to us FPL managers who have him in their side. Yeah, for sure. And just want to also note that Rafinha requested to be removed from the pitch at around the 70th minute mark. So it has been two games in a row. He's kind of been dealing with a knock and a like hip strain. So he came off early, but still ends on two bonus points for a total of eight points. And then also want to call out randomly that Ben Rama ends up with the other bonus point in this match. So he ends up on three, but early on in the first half, him and Antonio were linking up incredibly well. And he's a player, I think, this week that more managers are starting to bring in. He got a price rise now at 6.6. But overall, this West Ham team just looks like, you know, that they're uh, a top five team in the Premier League this season. So at their price tags, especially from an attacking perspective, I would not shy away from their assets. Good call. Good call. All right. Let's move on now to Leicester 2, Burnley 2. Let's talk about the hat trick that Vardy had, Bucks. The Vardy party. This was a massive uh, roller coaster up and down for Jamie Vardy. He had a lot of work to do to redeem himself after he kind of boneheadedly, literally, heads a goal into the back of his own net in the first 15 minutes. And he makes up for it shortly thereafter. At the end of the first half, he ma- masterfully controls a Tielemans pass on the right, fires it across goal ends up getting a brace, one for his own team, one for the opposition. And, uh, you know, honestly, I thought Burnley were up for this one. They should be disappointed to not be getting their first win of the season. Cornette, who is new to the Premier League, he's new to Burnley, and he makes his debut in this match. He ends up finishing this beautiful volley to take the Clarets up 2-1, to one, and that's how we enter half. 
finally, finally, Brennan Rogers starts to listen to our podcast and brings on Nacho Man. Ian Nacho comes on at the 62nd minute. My my prayers have been answered, Bucks. The heavens have finally answered him, brought in Nacho Man. And what does he do? He delivers instantly. Come on, Brendan Rodgers. Let's turn this Leicester season around and get Nacho up there with the strike force with Vardy. Yeah, he comes on pretty much immediately, puts this beautiful through ball, plays in Vardy, who takes a great touch around Pope, who's the goalkeeper for Burnley, finishes clinically with his off foot, his left foot. And uh, it just shows that Vardy is just a massively up for it striker. He's a classy player. And even at his advanced age, he still puts in that effort. He still has that killer speed and he has amazing instincts. So I just think he's a player that's really gone under the radar all season long. He's averaging over six points. Excuse me. He's averaging over six FPL points per game this far this season. And honestly, he's probably a, he's probably a deal um, at his price point because he's so underutilized and so many players are on Lukaku and Ronaldo, you know, he might be the, the best third striker. If you want to go Ronaldo or Lukaku Vardy and Antonio, that might be the ideal front line for the. Yeah, definitely pricey, but he's a player that has the experience behind him, has the wisdom to stay on sides, time his runs correctly. And he just has the instincts of a player who's played in the Premier League for 10 years, right? He, he just really keeps bringing that to the table for Leicester game in and game out. And even though their midfield has been very putrid to start the season, he's delivered FPL points. Again, he'd have even more points in this game if he didn't get, get the own goal early on. So I also like that he's like, man, I got to make I got to make this shit up like <laughs> gave an unlucky OG. And then he's like, all right. It's on me. I'll bring the team back. So love that mentality. And uh, Burnley is just a, another team that I would target for captaincy. I mean, honestly, I don't think they offer that much. Um, they used to be such a defensively stout unit, but now they're kind of in between trying to play attacking football, but don't have the players to do so. So I wouldn't be afraid to ever captain um, against them. Worth mentioning before we sign off this match that Vardy ends up with 11 points and he ends up as the top forward goal scorer for this game week. So again, credit to Emmanuel from our mini league who captained him. He went big. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back to review the final fixtures of game week six. All right, we're back in the building. Bucks, let's talk about your new friend, Mr. Saar, he comes in and puts Watford in a draw, one with Newcastle, one. What did you see here? Yeah, we should shout out Newcastle. Another interesting performance from them. Sean Longstaff, one of the budget midfielders, has a beautiful long-distance strike from a sideways pass from Alex St. Maximin. They both end up with eight points, and they open the scoring for Newcastle. And Ismail Saar, what a what a player. I mean, he's just a goal-scoring machine at this point. He ties up the match in the 72nd minute off a set piece. He heads it home into the back of the goal. And he honestly probably could have had another return in this match, but he gets the credit. He get, ends up with nine FPL points. So that's massive. And, uh, you know, 
I mentioned that Sar could have gotten another attacking return, but Watford have to be kicking themselves to not end up winning this match because Josh King puts the ball in the back of the net for them and it's disallowed by VAR. So uh, tough result, but I think from an FPL perspective, the players that we are monitoring, Alex St. Maxman, eight points and max bonus after he creates this massive chance. Again, he's becoming a creative wonder kid for Newcastle. And then Saar ends up, again, with nine points. So these are the two kind of talisman players for both these sides. And I think they both are worth considering uh, if you enter wildcard or if you are looking for a transfer this game week. For managers to put up their blinders to kind of the bottom the bottom teams in the table, I think that's a mistake. You there, you can definitely mine FPL gold from some of these um, these lower table teams because they have a few players that play attacking football. And I mean, St. Max has looked amazing. I mean, to only get an assist and still get max bonus in a game is is pretty impressive. And Sar again, he's he's a goal scoring um, machine. Six point three million. You can easily bench him when their fixtures get really tough and put him in your first bench slot and be pretty um, you know, happy with that. So these are two teams that I would be um, you know, very much interested in their attackers, but their defenders definitely stay away. All right. What I want to talk about most with you, Bucks, is the potential kind of match of the season, which was Brentford 3, Liverpool 3, a six-goal bonanza. And it could have been more. It could have been... Seven total goals, eight total goals, nine total goals. This was a crazy outcome to this match. So um, break it down for us here. You say potential. This was by far and away the match of the season thus far from a neutral perspective. Unbelievable attacking football from both sides. They really just went for it. Uh, I think this could have been easily 6-5, finish. But Brentford gets a big point. I think a lot of teams have been sleeping on Brentford and they are just a well-organized classy side. And, you know, we saw that they, they're really up for it. They're like leads were last season. They're not afraid of playing the kind of big boys of the premier league. And I respect that the way that they are playing football. So insane match. There were shots that were cleared off the line for both Liverpool and for Brentford uh, starting with, Liverpool, they open the scoring. Jota gets a great headed goal. He ends up on seven FPL points. Mo Salah, Mr. Reliable, ends up scoring his 100th Premier League goal for Liverpool. He also ends up only on seven points. Surprising to not see him get any bonus for as classy as he was in this game. And then my boy, Ivan Tony gets a cheeky backheel assist for five points. So, All the FPL players really came out to play in this match and delivered. Uh, I think, you know, Brian referenced it earlier in our podcast, but both Jota and Salah kind of unlucky to not go even bigger for their FPL managers. Super frustrating. I mean, they easily both could have double returned and your team would have been flying. Um, So this was a, a match where... I thought Salah was going to be on some kind of bonus just because he was so attacking. And it's really weird how the bonus system works where you can create chances and that will build up your bonus. But if you are a attacking player and you miss a shot or a shot gets blocked by the keeper, you don't get any credit for that. And 
sometimes it's you know it's not quite fair because I thought Salah again looked looked the part. He's just an FPL legend. I would expect him to score in every single match that he plays. Um, so I think he's somebody that again set and forget as your captain could not you know could be an option. So outside of that, we're sad to see that Trent um, you know scores one point uh, next to Shaw zero. So. <laughs> One total point between those two players. And now he's likely, uh, he missed out in the Champions League match today versus Porto. And he's actually rumored to uh, not have traveled with the team and is going to miss the Manchester City match. Again, that's not set in stone yet, but that's what the early reports are from the likes of Ben Dinnery on Twitter, who is the guru of all FPL injuries across the board. So it might be a week where you have to dive into your bench. So hopefully you have a few guys stashed there because I I would not transfer Trent out unless you're then going to wild card right thereafter. Um, he's 7.6 million. He'll probably drop to 7.5 because casuals will take him out. But he's one of the best defenders in a, a league of his own. So do that at your own peril is my uh, my advice there. Yeah, just one quick note. I want to highlight the Brentford defense. We've mentioned a couple of players before, like Rico Suave, Rico Henry, Pinnock, and uh, Janelt. Oh, sorry, Jansen uh, from the Brentford defense. But Brian and I are both Sanchez owners from Brighton. And I think Raya is now emerging as one of the best 4.5 budget keepers. He makes a lot of saves. A lot of those shots are from distance because Brentford defense are doing their job. So he's going to get save points and he's just one to monitor. He might be uh, one of the two standout budget keepers uh, as we approach wildcard territory for both our sides. Yeah, overall, very impressed with Brentford's first match versus a top four side in the Premier League in 65, 70 years, whatever it was. They were up for it and they look like a team that's definitely going to uh, stay in the top division this year. All right, let's move to Wolves 1, Southampton 0, where another goalkeeper had some heroic plays. Yeah, this was a pretty lackluster effort from both sides, actually. But Wolves end up getting saved, literally, <laughs> by Jose Saw, 5.0 million keeper in FPL, ends up with a beautiful free kick ball to play in. Raul Jimenez, who gets his opening goal of the season, ends up being the game winner. And this is his first goal in some time after coming back from what looked like it could have been a career-ending head injury last season. Oh, man. Bucks, he's he's off the he's off the schneid here. He, I think this was the moment of the weekend for me, just seeing how just excited and how happy he was to score that goal. And really, I'm sure there's many times where he was laid up in the hospital thinking that he may never play again. And so to finally get this off of his back and that big sigh of relief and just the energy that he had and his team had for him when he scored, um, I think this is a player, again, he's he's very classy in previous seasons. He's had 20-plus total goals and assist uh, returns. So I'm hoping that he kind of catches some form because it'd be great to have another striker option at about $7.5 million. Yeah, he's still arguably in the prime of his career. He just turned 30. And, you know, I think it was just pure euphoria. And worth mentioning, Sa ends up with huge 14 points from a goalkeeper. He ends up getting six saves. He ends up with a clean sheet and he gets an assist. So 
massive, massive. And Jimenez ends up with eight points, which is not too shabby for a sub $7.5 million striker. So both players to watch. Worth mentioning also on the negative for Wolves from an FPL perspective. Both their midfield standouts, Adama Traore and Trincao, both are rotated in this one, which was, I think, a bizarre decision. And I just think that they they just are lacking creativity right now. So Traore needs to figure out how to cross the ball in without shanking it into the other far uh, touchline. And they're going to be in business once they can figure that out because they do get a lot of chances and they do look the part. But uh, something remains to be figured out there. And they get the clean sheet. So, Brian, both we'll take that. We'll take those points. I have Semedo. Brown has Marsal. Put it in the books. Yeah, happy to get those six points because Southampton had 18 shots to Wolves five. So Wolves have got to feel pretty good that they had some heroics from their goalkeeper and that Jimenez uh, kind of had that great, beautiful touch from the middle of the kind of 60th minute. So good result for Wolves. And let's go on to the next match, which is Arsenal three, Tottenham one. This was a North London Derby and it was impressive. Yeah, great match. This was a really energetic derby performance from Arsenal. And it's interesting that the Premier League starts with two marquee matchups in the early window and then ends the game week with two massive derby showdowns. So Arsenal end up on top 3-1. They just came out guns blazing in the first half. They blew the doors off Spurs, to be perfectly honest, in the first 30 minutes. I mean, they 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 are the gunners. They are the gunners. So they got to come out with some uh, some fuego every now and then, right? Exactly. But you know, this is interesting because I think these are two teams, both in very similar places. They're both kind of mid rebuild, and it just shows that Arsenal has kind of leaned into who they are, whereas Tottenham are kind of flailing. They're trying to maintain this identity of a top six team, but they're no longer that team anymore. So uh, I think that just proved itself in this match. And it was really won through Arsenal's midfield. Uh, They just totally dominated. They destroyed. Incredible. Yeah, incredible showing. Uh, Smith Rowe and Saka both looked like must-own players uh, for FPL, but also great young starlets for the Gunners to rebuild around going forward. Each of them had a goal and an assist. Smith Rowe ends up with 12 FPL points and Saka ends up with 13 FPL points, respectively. Massive showing. Obama Yang, old faithful, he comes in with a goal, ends up on seven FPL points. And so we go into halftime and all the punditry is about how good Arsenal looks, how terrible Spurs look, how Spurs have lost their way. And, you know, honestly, the second half was a little bit forget forgettable because Arsenal simply just took their foot off the gas. I think they, they didn't dominate the game any less. They just knew they weren't at risk. So Sun ends up peeling back a goal. He ends up with seven FPL points. So kind of saves the day for any Spurs FPL uh, respectability. And, you know, I think we'll have to postpone this conversation to a, a later date. But I think Harry Kane's got got by the Monstars or something from Space Jam because he's oh no <laughs> there's there's something incredibly wrong with him he's just totally out of sorts doesn't look like he's practicing with the midfield because he's not getting any service uh, it's it's just very bizarre he's clearly not taking to Nuno's system uh, at Spurs and 
it looks like he's very quickly going to be on his way out of the club uh, in in the next transfer windows. Yeah, for Arsenal, you know, they have some bright young players. Odegaard played pretty well, uh, I thought as well, just in terms of kind of making the hockey assist, the pass to the pa- uh, sister. Um, he's been really, br- really a bright spot for them as well. Um, overall, you know, Aubameyang is a player that he looks to have the upper hand versus Lacazette, and he seems to have kind of developed some good rapport with those young midfielders. So uh, I, I thought another player to shout out in this match was Ramsdale, who's making his third consecutive start. He's 4.5 million. I'm definitely uh, considering him on my wild card. He just looks very energetic and very, um, you know, very much the kind of leader that they might need in the back. He seems to f- have formed a good relationship with White, who he's obviously played in a lot of you know, England Academy games and trainings across the uh, his career as well. So I think there's some good momentum with the defense uh, for Arsenal. So I don't think you can go wrong with having White or potentially Ramsdale in a wild card squad, given that they're both 4.5 million or less. Yeah, good shout on uh, Ramsdale. They brought him in for 30 million. So I think he's probably locked in as their number one for the rest of the season. Interesting. They, You know what, Bucks? This, this just means that bird is not the word. Ouch. Worth mentioning, though, that they brought <laughs> him in because Leno's play with the ball at his feet has been so weak. And yet twice this match, when Ramsdale takes the ball and makes a pass, he's kicking it either directly to Hugo Lloris at the far side of the pitch, or he's kicking it into <laughs> the stand. So uh, I think they have a lot to work on in training still, but uh, Ramsdale made some great saves and uh, credit to uh, locking up the number one role. I think Arsenal have some good fixtures uh, coming up for them. So uh, they could be a defense to target and Ramsdale at 4.5 million, great option for FPL purposes. All right, let's round out the game week reviews from game week six with Crystal Palace one, Brighton one. Crystal Palace have got to be kicking themselves that they did not get three points in this match. They came out super energetic. They had the home supporters really uh, boosting them up in this one, and they really bossed the entire first half. Um, Had a couple different chances, but Gallagher ends up getting manhandled by Trossard to draw a PK and then Zaha smashes it home. It was a great take in PK, even though Milivojevic was on the pitch. So good to see that Zaha is firmly their penalty taker because that'll boost his FPL appeal long term. Uh, again, they had a few other chances to double the lead, but were un- unable to do so. And in the 90th minute, after Guaita takes a f- uh, free kick, he it goes into the other half and Veltman just volleys it above all the defenders and Mopai is able to get on the back of that and chips the goalkeeper to tie the game 1-1 in extra time it was a it was quite the scene bucks it was one of those moments that if you blinked you missed the goal it, it happened so quickly and I know you were shouting Mopai a little bit last uh, episode so good to see him continue to deliver for Brighton and in a game where they should have dropped points they end up getting one point so kudos to them and their kind of never give up attitude. I had Veltman on the bench. He ends up with seven total FPL points. Uh, again, he's 4.4 million, so he's a decent option. And uh, elsewhere, we also got some uh, some unfortunate uh, yellow card action from Sanchez at the end of the game, costing us a, a point in a low-scoring game week by uh, wasting time. So he picks up a yellow in the 97th minute. And outside of that, 
you know, you were doubled up on the Brighton defense here, Bucks. What'd you think? Yeah, punishing way for the match to go. But uh, credit to Crystal Palace and their fans. Selhurst Park is not the biggest stadium, but it was the most bumping stadium on the weekend. The fans were up for it. The energy in the stadium was definitely fueling the Palace side. Uh, Mape just looks the part. He is second only to Mikel Antonio for goals scored from the forward position. He now has four goals on the season. Pretty impressive and a player to watch. He can score out of nothing. He really is a classy finisher. Uh, he has a little bit of some issues with controlling himself and taking needless <laughs> yellow and red cards. But uh, yeah, he's, he's a bit of a he- he's a bit of a head case. Like I don't know if I would enjoy playing with him that much on my team because he can some sometimes just go off the the rails pretty quickly. But he definitely has the the technical skills to um, you know buoy that uh, attack for Brighton. Yeah, Brian Brian Chin said that, not John Buxbaum, just so the record reflects uh, if Mape is listening. <laughs> uh, he ends up stealing three bonus, gets the g- game-tying goal, ends up with nine FPL points, which is huge. And Zaha, as Brian mentioned, ends up with eight points. So pretty respectable from both of the side's talismans. And an otherwise, uh, really a game that was dominated by Crystal Palace. Uh, you know, teams that compete for top places in European football end up doing. They get results when it looks like, you know, all's ready to be packed up and go on the team bus. So uh, great point for Brighton, not as good a result for Crystal Palace. Yeah, but still, all things considered, Crystal Palace has like eight new players in their starting 11. Like there's been so much change under Vieira. And uh, I've been impressed what I've seen from them so far. They seem to be embracing this new style of football. You know, they played so many years under Roy Hodgson. So there's some new new players in the side giving Zaha some life. You like to see him with a smile on his face uh, from time to time because he's usually a pretty brooding guy. And overall, you know, Guaita at 4.5, he looks like a decent uh, decent shout as well in the back. I've been very impressed that the the XG conceded from um, from Crystal Palace has been quite low this season. So um, potentially a, a goalkeeper to keep an eye on as well. All right. With that, we've gone through all the action from game week six. We're going to take a quick break and dive into some community questions. We'll be right back for mail time. All right, we're going to dive into our community mailbag and answer some questions. Bucks, before we get started with the listener questions, I just want to talk to you about the mid-price mids like Jota and Greenwood. I have two free transfers this week, so I'm really trying to figure out which one I might move on from. And both have been had their bright spot moments, but I think they're potentially going in different directions for FPL. What are your thoughts here um, as we see tons of mid-priced midfielders emerge as options and enablers in our FPL sides? Yeah, so these both these players are in both of our teams and they're clearly in both of our thoughts. I think one of them is going to be getting the boot for me as I potentially line up for a wild card in game week eight. If that's the case, I don't think it's worth transferring either of these players out to take a hit, but I think time has come where Firmino is now back from injury. He looked great in the Champions League, so that's a threat to Jota getting regular minutes. And Greenwood just isn't taking up the same attacking threat from a positional standpoint now that Ronaldo is clearly leading the line. So I think the honeymoon with both these players is probably over. And that leads us really nicely into the next question from our community, which 
is from Trevor and Lucas, who both ask, who are the best budget midfield enablers as we look towards a wild card? And I think the reason that these two questions are connected is, as Brian mentioned earlier in the podcast, the time for a punt is right before a wild card. So it might be worth taking a punt on one of these players with a friendlier fixture than Jota against Man City or Greenwood against Everton to kind of be a little different if you are planning, in fact, to go on wildcard. Brian, anyone jump out as the best budget midfielders? I mean, there are so many options across the board. I think that we've seen the likes of Everton with Townsend, Decore, and Gray. Those are all potential options, um, especially with the likes of DCL and Richarlison out, they've still been managing to link up and play some relatively attacking football. So all those lads are about 5.7 to 5.4 million. So those are good shouts. Mbuemo at um, at Brentford, he's still playing up top. He's playing out of position 5.5. You know, I don't love their fixtures in the next um, couple of games, but they will have some good ones kind of coming up in game week uh, 11 or so. So that's a player to keep uh, an eye on. And he really seems to be linking up well with Tony. And they've been very respectable for their first season in the Premier League. Other than that, you know, I think Emil Smith-Rowe and Saka are two players that are on the tips of everybody's tongues. I think that Saka has a little bit more creativity uh, from both a um, scoring perspective and an assisting perspective. So I would rank him higher. He's actually dropped to 6.2 million. So he started at 6.5 after kind of uh, being very prominent in the European side in the Euros for England. And a lot of players started with him. And now he's dropped to 6.2. So he's a player that I would kind of, you know, potentially shoehorn into your team that they have super easy fixtures. Um, you know, Brighton, Crystal Palace, Villa, uh, Leicester, Watford. He could definitely get a lot of attacking returns in that uh, in that lineup. So those are the guys that I would keep an eye on uh, thus far, Bucks. Anybody else to add here? Yeah, one player I want to highlight is Douglas Luiz, who's at 4.5 million. I think he's distinguished himself as the best true budget option in midfield. He's actually one of the first names on a potential wildcard cheat sheet that I have because I think he just... He plays every match. He's very creative for an attack-minded side. So I just think that he's a great enabler to allow you to get the maximum performance of the players that you're going to be starting week in, week out. So he's an easy set-and-forget fifth midfielder at $4.5 million. Yeah, I'm a little bit concerned about his ceiling. I mean, last season he played a ton of minutes and only had two assists, and he's already got two assists in his first six matches this year. Uh, with that being said, obviously... They're more reliant on a team-based uh, creativity structure without Jack in the side for Villa. So uh, he has been on a few corner kicks and got an assist off a corner kick um, to a headed goal in their last match. So he's a player that at 4.5, again, if you're on wild card, it looks like a, to be a solid pickup. I think also at 4.5, um, Mr. Longstaff from Newcastle. He had a couple rocket attempts and nailed one in the previous game. Even though he plays for Newcastle, he seems to be pretty um, pretty locked on that side, and he loves a, a long-range effort. And with a name like Longstaff, you know he's got to be confident. Yeah, I, one thing that I want to just shout out that's a fu- funny reference. Oh, come on, Bucks! Not, I don't even, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't even get a, don't even get a chuckle there. Uh, I'll acknowledge a good dad joke uh, from the non-parent member of our our duo. That was good. Uh, 
I'm personally not on the Everton boys. I think that Gray and Decore, that's both all hype. They've been, Decore specifically has been capitalizing and feasting against the bottom half sides. He's getting returns and his only returns are from Southampton, Leeds, Burnley, and Norwich. He has blanked in both of the tougher fixtures. And if it was up to me for that same price, as Brian mentioned, I'd much rather have the Arsenal guys in the mid five million range. Odegaard at 5.5 million and Smith Rowe at 5.3 million seem like better bets to be getting returns in the future and not necessarily banking on past performance leading to future results. So that's just my take. I think Everton are really banged up right now. And when you have DCL and Richarlison back in the side, they're going to be kind of taking away a lot of the oxygen that these midfield players are currently getting for bonus points and for opportunities. So that's my take. Yeah, and I think there's that belief with managers that you're kind of taking a punt on any of these guys. Um, you know, Gallagher included, I think he's a great option. But in that kind of 5.5 to 6.5 range, you you want to ride them for a few fixtures. And if they don't work out, you you swap off of them. But it's not a it's not a kind of spot in your team that you're relying on week in and week out for points. Unless, of course, you're going to go with three heavy hitting premiums. And then that's a little bit of a different case. But if you rotate some of these guys in, you know, as your first bench slot and sometimes playing the fixtures, I think there's some great value to be had. So uh, definitely something to consider, especially I think as we've seen in a COVID season as well. And, you know, Champions League starting to pick up. It really helps to have two playing decent options off your bench, whether it's like a 4.0 to 4.5 defender and then a kind of mid tier uh, midfielder who can come in and potentially get you six to eight points um, in any game. So I think there's a great opportunity to set up your squad on wildcard with some more depth. Yeah. And just before we get off the budget conversation, if you are thinking of wildcarding, I think that Tino Livermento from Southampton has to be one of the first names in your consideration. He's 4.2 million. He is absolutely locked in that Southampton side. And they're not getting many clean sheets. Obviously, that's a concern, but he's so attack-minded. He He's knocking on the door of getting an attacking return. He actually looks like he's more set up to get an attacking return than Luke Shaw. And, you know, their pricing and their the way that they play are very similar, but Luke Shaw is 5.5 million and Livermento is 4.2 million. So he can very easily be set and forget as your third bench option and you build a really strong team around him. But I just think the flexibility that he gives you as a player who you know is going to feature, uh, he's actually right now, he's the first name on my, uh, you know, penciled in wildcard cheat sheet. So just wanted to shout him out. Yeah. And he actually, Livermento actually had one of the best chances for Southampton in that match, um, came up off the right flank and took a, a firing goal so, or a firing goal attempt. So you'd love to see him getting, you know, relatively far forward and on a team where, you know, there's not really an expectation of any goals to ever come about. Maybe you luck into one or two returns with him and at his price tag, um, you can might luck into a, a few clean sheets. I mean, they clean city somehow, so they can, they can obviously uh, get up for for any game and they're going to continue to grow as a unit. Yeah, good point and the city shout out. Uh that you don't get much uh, tougher clean sheets than than that one. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back for the end of the podcast where we discuss our transfer targets and our thoughts there plus the captaincy shouts for game week 7. We'll be right back. 
And we're back. As Brian teased before the break, we are going to close by previewing our transfer moves and captaincy selections going into game week seven. Brian, why don't you start us out? Well, taking a look at my FPL team, uh, they're currently playing flag football. I have four players who are doubtful to feature this weekend, including Rafinha, Ailing, Trent, and Shaw. Right now, I know Trent is very unlikely to feature versus City. I mean, I honestly wasn't expecting a ton from him in that match, but he could always pick up attacking returns in any match he plays. So with two free transfers, I'm definitely targeting uh, Alonzo or Rudiger. I'm just waiting till Chelsea plays Champions League tomorrow on Wednesday, September 29th. And we'll decide to go between uh, Rudiger and Alonzo there. And if I go Alonzo, honestly, I'm thinking about captaining him um, as a differential shout. I don't really like the options. Yeah, I don't really like the options. And this could be a a good opportunity to go with a true differential captain. Um, So that's that's something that I'm weighing up Uh, elsewhere. uh, I have Ronaldo. I, I thought about maybe going to Lukaku, but I think it's it's not a position in my team that requires uh, me to use a transfer there and I'm probably going to grab Lukaku for this Chelsea fixture run coming up on wildcard anyway so I'll roll roll Ronaldo back out for one more week but really the the tough decision I have this week is whether to play uh, or whether to transfer out Jota or to transfer out Greenwood um, you know both of these players might you know Jota started Champions League today on Tuesday uh, versus Porto um, he looked all right. And then Firmino came in and scored two goals. And so I think Klopp would usually prefer to play Firmino versus City um, just because he tracks back a bit more, can play a little bit more defensive football um, from his slot and help them uh, retain possession. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Jota rested. But also, uh, you know, Manchester United plays tomorrow as well. It'll be interesting to see who starts in that lineup for uh, for them. So I, I don't know what to do, Bucks. I'm going to have to wait till team press conferences and hopefully um, see, um, you know, some more news on on those two players. But I'll probably downgrade one of those guys to um, SAR. Interesting. Yeah. So I also have two free transfers to use this game week. And just worth pointing out from a strategy perspective, if you are considering a potential game week eight wildcard move, then you have to use both your free transfers because you don't get to keep any of them after the wild card it basically wipes it out so yeah that's 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 a great point to share with the listeners there bucks so i'm for sure going to use both just to keep my flexibility and my options open going into next game week so i've already actually made one of my transfer moves i moved off luke shaw uh, who is set to price drop tonight on tuesday and on to tony rudiger who already price rose last night on Monday. So I've kind of beat that price rise, which I feel good about, hoping that Rudiger gets at least a little bit of rest in Champions League against a slightly depleted Juventus side. So that move has already been made. I'm also echoing some of Brian's questions about my next move, which is I'm between either Jota or Greenwood to Rafinha, which would be a little bit disappointing because that's a hokey cokey move. I moved off Rafinha yeah, yeah. last game week. Alternatively, I am eyeing maybe going TAA to Alonzo for a one-week punt. 
just if I move off TAA, I am going to be basically setting myself up to for certain wild card in game week eight, which is something that I don't want to necessarily lock, lock myself into. But uh, again, those that's where I'm thinking. I've made one transfer. So Rudiger is now in my side. He will be starting no matter what. And uh, yeah, just the second transfer is still up in the air, but it's going to be one of those two options. So yeah, that's very, that's, that's very interesting, Bucks. And I think just for general wild card um, kind of best practices, if you're going to make maybe five to six switches or transfers in your starting 11, then it's potentially a good time to pop your wild card. You're going to get one more in the second half of the season, and you want to be well positioned to you know, go potentially 15, 20 game weeks with a very uh, similar squad. So I uh, just wanted to note that as well, because a lot of, you know, our listeners and the FPL community are trying to decide when's the best time and when's the you know, most opportunistic time. I, I just like potentially using the wild card before game week eight because there's going to be an international break. Players get injured, players get COVID. It, and it's a time where you can potentially farm some value in some of those players. So I am actually 100% locked into wild carding for game week eight, and I will be hitting that button the moment the deadline passes um, in the morning uh, on Saturday. Wow. Okay. That's uh, Brian with some conviction. I like it. And uh, just want to shout out my captain selection right now is on Antonio. I just love what I'm seeing from him. He's clearly the the go-to scorer yep. for West Ham. And uh, yeah, I'm trusting he's going to return again. Brentford. Uh, are now away at West Ham. So I think the home fixture, I'm I'm just continuing to bet on uh, those odds and those trends that the home teams are more likely to deliver than the away side. So that's where I stand. Uh, again, kind of disappointing game week six scores all around, but uh, both Brian and I beat the average. So we're happy about that. And we're hoping for some massive green arrows coming into game week seven before you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Brian is for sure going to be activating his wild card in game week eight. So we just got to get there. My effective ownership on my wild card percentage is way over 100. It's closer to 200. It's definitely happening. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to following you along this game week, Bucks. I wish you a green arrow. And the rest of our listeners, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at FPL Blues Podcast. And we'll see you very soon. Score big. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.